I want to read some verses from the book of Acts again. We're, we're sitting almost time, but it's just important that we read God's word as opposed to hearing me. So um, let's read from Acts chapter 8. We'll be touching on various parts of, of Acts tonight, but this will be one of them. And uh, Actually, persecution has started, it tells us, in verse 1, and the believers were, were scattered. And in verse 4, we read this. But the believers who had fled Jerusalem went everywhere preaching the good news about Jesus. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to what he had to say because of the miracles he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, claiming to be someone great. The Samaritan people, from the least to the greatest, often spoke of him as the Great One, the power of God. He was very influential because of the magic he performed. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the great miracles and signs Philip performed. When the apostles back in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new Christians to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given when the apostles placed their hands upon people's heads, he offered money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, May your money perish with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right before God. Turn from your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts, for I can see that you are full of bitterness and held captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things won't happen to me. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news to them too. As for Philip, an angel, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he did. And he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the queen of Ethiopia. And I'll finish the reading there. Tonight's talk in Dream Alive I've entitled Risky Business. I don't know what you think is risky. I know some people who won't even drive into Belfast at all because they think it's too risky. Other people won't fly, just too scared. Some people are very safe with their money. Some people will invest their money in all kinds of weird and wonderful things. Some people will do things on holiday that make other people sick just thinking about what they're doing. And we've seen a real rise in what's called extreme sports, as people tend to do madder and madder things. There's a, a great program on one of the satellite channels called And They Walked Away. And it just gives you, you know, the idea of, of what was going on as they show these mad things that people did and, and they managed to walk away. I found some pictures that I thought pretty much summed up risk. 
That's just frightening. Jumping through fire. That guy actually was to pay with his life for his risk, Steve Irwin. Um, although he wasn't taking a major risk when, when he died. Maybe that's risky. <laughs> but what if there were those, weren't those who were prepared to take risks? Those who were prepared to just go a little further, to go against popular wisdom and, and opinion. What about those who were convinced that we could fly? I mean, look at what they put up there. <laughs> Look at what they thought was a good idea to get people off the ground. And yet now, because these people pushed the, I was going to say pushed the boat out, but that's really not the right phrase, pushed the plane out, now we're able to fly around the world in no time, in comfort, and just experience so much. All advances involve some kind of risk. Someone who's prepared to put their neck on the block and say, I know this has never been done before, Whoever would have thought you could do it, but that's how advances happen. Someone prepared to get out of the boat and try to walk on water if you want. This Keeping the Dream Alive series, as I've said each time, has been about the vision Jesus gave his church to get out there and change the world. And we've looked at various aspects of life in the early church that may have played a significant role in, in them seeing God at work in such amazing ways. Tonight I just want us to remember that the early church were prepared to take risks. They were a church in whom the spirit of adventure was alive and well. People who weren't afraid to step out of their comfort zones and trust God with what they were doing. And as I've looked through the the book of Acts and looked through the story of the early church... I was struck just at how they took risks in a whole range of ways. And I just want to mention a few of them tonight and unpack them. And maybe some of them will strike a chord with you and challenge you to the next step in your faith journey. The first one is this. We find them crossing social, cultural and religious boundaries. We've mentioned this several times in our studies. Particularly when we talked about Peter reaching out to Cornelius. And then the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15, we we started looking at that back on, on the first Sunday, making the decision that the church of Jesus Christ was to be for all kinds of people, whatever their background. I don't think we can ever overestimate how big a deal this was to the early Jewish Christians. Because it was asking them to make a massive change and it was going to open them to all kinds of abuse from the traditionalists. Read Galatians chapter 2 when you get the chance. And you'll see how big a scare it was for them that someone like Peter, big brash Peter, actually reneged on his earlier commitments because he was afraid of the traditional branch of the church and what they would say. And Paul actually had to tackle him publicly about it. And if they hadn't managed to sort out that problem, then the church the growth of the church would have been stunted. It would not have become the rich diversity of people that God wanted it to be. One episode we we didn't mention in earlier studies was this one in Acts chapter 8 that we've just read of Philip in Samaria. We've got to understand that this was also a huge step outside the box. 
There had been hostility between the Jews and Samaritans for centuries. It had gone back a thousand years. Ten of the twelve tribes of Israel broke away from the other two tribes. And they made Samaria their capital. Whilst the other two tribes remained loyal to Jerusalem. The situation deteriorated when Samaria was captured by Assyria in 722 BC. And thousands of the people there were deported. And then the city was repopulated by foreigners. As a result there were all kinds of mixes going on in relationships. So the Jews refused the help of the Samaritans in rebuilding their temple. They they felt that they were unclean. And then in the 4th century BC, the Samaritans built their own temple on Mount Gerizim. And they actually then repudiated all the books of the Old Testament except for the first five. They didn't own them anymore. The Jews despised the Samaritans as as hybrids, as compromisers, mixed up racially and religiously, and branded them as heretics. When Philip started to see the people of Samaria respond to his teaching. The other apostles were taken aback by this. This was something new. And so they sent the two big noises, Peter and John, to see what was happening. And as we read, Peter and John affirmed that this really was God at work. Isn't this interesting? Because if you read Luke's Gospel, and remember Luke, who wrote the book of Luke, was also the author of Acts. You'll find that this was the same John who at one stage wanted to call down fire from heaven to destroy a Samaritan city. And now he's the one going into Samaria, recognizing that God is at work and blessing them for it. How things can change. You know, there are far too many examples from around the world where cultural, racial, national and social barriers have got between peoples and actually have impacted the church and stunted the growth of the church. Things that have stopped the church being a place for all people, a house of prayer for all nations. Things that have stopped different groups of people hearing of God's love, things that have been an affront to God's love. It could be apartheid. It could be the racism that Um, has been so rife in the States in the past. It could be nationalism in Europe. What has gone on in in our own country. It could be tribalism in Africa that has caused such awful wars. And again, where Christians have been involved, could be casteism in a place like India. But there's no room in the body of Christ for bigotry. No room in the body of Christ for racism. For ageism, for sexism, for snobbery. And regularly in church history there have been those who have had to take the risk of stepping outside their cultural comfort zones to embrace others and ensure that the church is the many splendoured thing that it was always meant to be. I guess for us today, our challenge is to identify what those particular barriers might be in our day. And risk stepping outside our comfort zones to embrace those whom God loves. People for whom Jesus died. You know, you don't have to be a genius 
to work out an obvious application of that for us in Northern Ireland. But there are other less obvious ones, such as class divisions and about the multi-ethnic society that we are starting to become, where sectarianism is rapidly giving way to racism. The challenges are obvious. The church has got to reach out over cultural, social and religious barriers. We've got to take that risk. Straight after that, though, we just started to read of another interesting development with Philip that, in a sense, involves a new kind of risk. The risk of walking away from something successful. Now, I don't want to make a load of this, but for me it's just an interesting aside. Philip was experiencing a great time in Samaria. This was a new movement of the Spirit of God, people coming to Christ, new church being grown, and all of that. And yet, Philip was sensitive, sensitive enough, a bit like what Justin was saying this morning, sensitive enough to know that God was asking him to do something else. And so he walked away from it. Human reasoning might have suggested Stay in Samaria and keep building what God is obviously blessing. Play your part in it. And yet God put on his heart to respond to a call elsewhere because there was a new opportunity for him. Now, I don't want to read too much into this. But we just need to be aware. I just think it's helpful for us to remember this. That sometimes God asks us to do what isn't obvious. Sometimes he asks us to launch out into new waters. Maybe it's the fear of the unknown sometimes that that holds us back. The fear of failure. Maybe wondering where the resources will come from. Maybe wondering how it's all going to fall into place. But I just think from an episode like this, that the lesson is, if God is in it, if the call is coming from him, the supply will always be there. And maybe, maybe just someone here needed to hear that today. Maybe God is calling you to step away from something that's going really well, but asking you to take on something new. If you think that's you, if you think God's saying that to you, go for it. If it's God's call, go for it. Do you know, we've mentioned a a few times in this series that around 90% of the people around you aren't being impacted by church the way it is. And frankly, unless some of us come up with some new ideas and some new ways and risk being different and risk responding to what God is calling us to do and be, be, many of that 90% are never going to hear that God loves them. So if God might be putting in your heart to walk away from something successful to do something that he's putting before you you do it if he's calling he'll equip you third risk that the church of Christ needs to take is that of speaking out fearlessly you get numerous examples in Acts of the apostles daring to stand up and speak out truth about Jesus fearlessly I mean you you see them 
attacking the Jews in no uncertain terms, telling them who the Messiah was and reminding them of what their leaders had done to him. I've mentioned in other parts of the series about the sermons that the apostles have preached, so I'll not go into them again, but but keep them in mind. I also think of examples in Acts of, of one or more of them speaking out fearlessly to the leaders of the church when they reckoned they were getting it wrong. And that's a risk that some people have to take from, from time to time. Sometimes the leaders of the church need to be challenged. Not something I'd recommend all the time. You just get a reputation as a troublemaker. But I know enough from my own experience in leadership that you need to be tackled now and again about what you're up to. Because you don't always get it right. Look no further than what we've already said about the Apostle Peter tonight, who had to be confronted by Paul. It didn't matter what the fallout would be. Peter had to be confronted because he was getting it wrong. But I want to move on to another dimension of speaking out fearlessly. The last few years have seen some sinister developments in the UK when it comes to being prepared to speak out about your faith. Christmas is approaching, and no doubt the annual Christmas debate will rear its head again. Last year, councils, some councils removed the word Christmas from their celebrations. The Royal Mail removed Christian symbols and images from their stamps because apparently all of this is offensive to people from other faiths. I remember BBC Breakfast TV interviewed a representative of the Muslim community about it and her reaction was that this behaviour was ridiculous. She was coming from the community who were supposed to be offended by this and she said it was mad. Christmas is important and it should be celebrated and taught, she said. Her view was, by all means, there's a place for acknowledging the celebrations of other faiths and teaching them in schools. But she said she didn't want holidays for her faith and for every other faith because if we did that, nobody would ever do any work. But also, she said, if Christmas has no significance... What does it become? Purely a commercial venture. And I listened to her. I supposedly the one being offended by my Christmas. And I thought, would the politically correct brigade out there not listen to this and pay some attention? And, and then, excuse me, maybe it was earlier this year, we had Elton John, fairly famous figure, saying that organised religion should be banned because it turns people, and I quote, into hateful lemmings, has always tried to turn hatred towards gay people and is not compassionate. And when someone of his profile says something like that, I have to ask myself, what does it mean for me as a Christian to speak out truth fearlessly in response to that? And I thought about a couple of ways. One, I want to challenge the claims of someone like Elton John about banning religion and challenging the inequality that is now existing where you could be forgiven for thinking that a person's sexual preference rights were now to supersede all of the rights of every other individual. Just this week, um, my boss, Joel Edwards, who, who has spoken here in the past, Joel took part in his first meeting as newly appointed to the Equality and Human Rights Commission. Hugely significant appointment for an evangelical Christian in the UK. Well, a few weeks ago when his appointment was announced, he was absolutely pilloried in the press 
by those from a certain perspective. Questions like, how could he possibly have a role to play, given that Evangelical Alliance have taken a stance on certain equality issues? One paper said that Joel had made a career from homophobia and comments like that. There were horrendous attacks made on him just because he's a Christian. And I found myself wondering, just who are the intolerant ones in our society today? The main problem is that the rights of others to have a particular sexual preference, they believe should override override others' rights to follow their faiths. And our risk is how we speak out against that. And not be quiet, but also not be rude. But there's another level of kingdom risk here in speaking out. And this is perhaps even riskier for Christians. It's the risk of speaking out to agree with someone like Elton John when he's right. Because there isn't a place in the church of Jesus Christ for homophobia and hatred. We've got to challenge any concept of church that doesn't have compassion. Elton John isn't the first to make this kind of statement. This is what he said. I love the idea of the teachings of Jesus Christ. Someone like Gandhi also said the same. The problem is that too often the teaching of Jesus is presented by people who behave nothing like Jesus. And we have to challenge that kind of contradiction if we want to impact people. Again, we looked at that when we looked at the centrality of Jesus. But that always has to be a recurring theme for the church. Not just speaking truth about Jesus, but living like Jesus. And sometimes we've got to take the risk of challenging the church when she's not faithful to that task. The final area of risk that we'll cover is really covered in a series of encounters that Paul has that are recounted to us at the end of Acts, really chapters 23 through to 26. And it's that we need to have Christians who will risk going to high places. Don't get me wrong, this isn't to decry ordinary Christians doing their ordinary everyday jobs and being a witness to Christ. But we need to have Christians who will risk going to high places. We see Paul in a variety of settings here with some of the most important people of his day. Felix, Festus and Agrippa. Paul has become something of a novelty and they are intrigued to hear what he has to say. And to figure out why it has caused so much of a stir. In fact it's going to go even higher because Paul has been mistreated as a Roman citizen. And made the highest appeal that any citizen could He appealed to Caesar himself and so he was prepared to take his case and his message to the very throne of the empire. If we actually believe that the church is called to change the world, does it not inevitably mean that the Christian message has got to make it to the top people? There are those who by virtue of their position have got the opportunity to make changes, changes that affect all of us. And if we believe that Christian values are the best values for society, there's a great um, few verses in that in Deuteronomy chapter 4. How are we going to ensure that those who make the laws and those who govern the direction of the country get to hear? 
We've got to get alongside them. Yes, we are totally reliant on God working in their lives. But let's get real. Let's not come off with some sort of false spirituality that says we just look to God to work. That it's all down to the Holy Spirit. For how has God chosen to work? What channel does the Spirit of God use normally? He works through people. He works through people like us. And if you want to talk about risk, is there any bigger risk than that? God will risk working through people. God has no plan B. When Jesus Christ left the earth, he put his mission into the hands of 11 guys who hadn't exactly covered themselves in glory and who by their own admission still had some serious doubts and questions. And yet with all their failures, as they took the challenge on and looked to God for help, they made such a change. That's the way God works. And he's looking for people today who will take that challenge on. And my question is, who is going to stand in the high places today? Who will influence the influencers? Who will influence your boss? Who will influence those who really can make changes? What about the government? Will you pray for the many Christians who have senior positions in government? Especially here in Northern Ireland, not just in Stormont, but also in the civil service, the people who really make the policies. I know from personal experience, we brought some civil servants to speak to our council when we were addressing a really touchy issue. Senior civil servant, one whom I have known for all of my life. And he said to me, you know, when we do this, at work, he said, I've really got to leave my faith outside the door. I just, you know, I wanted to scream. I thought, how can you say that? People who are atheistic or who are agnostic or whatever or will be quite happy to bring their faith or no faith to bear on the discussion. We as Christians have to do the same thing. Pray for those people. Pray for courage for them. Pray for wisdom for them. Pray for respect for them. As they bring their faith to bear in the governing of our country. And then maybe if I can, if I can be a bit selfish and bring it closer to home. Pray for organisations like ourselves at Evangelical Alliance. As we have opportunities to engage with some of the most senior leaders in the rest of the UK and, and here at home. Some of them are household names and have major influence. Some of them are Christians. Some are not. But our challenge is to take Jesus and kingdom values to them. To encourage those who have a Christian faith to be stronger in it. And for those who aren't Christians, that they will see the reality of Christ in us. That we will not be afraid to take a stand. That we will treat them with respect as we see Paul in his dealings with the rulers. But that our authentic witness to God's values will show a better way. Each generation of the church faces its own challenges. God calls us all to take risks for the kingdom so that his purposes can be fulfilled in new ways and in new people. Today is our day. God has put us here for this very reason. And it's a crucial time. In Great Britain now, church attendance in England, Scotland and Wales is down to what percentage of the population? Anybody know? 6%. More and more people are disengaging with Christianity in its organised form. And in Northern Ireland, we are following closely behind. And we've got to respond to the challenge. 
to take risks in how we be church if we're going to see a change. And we probably don't want to know what percentage of that 6% is under the age of 40 because they're just drifting away. I guess it reminds me of the story of Esther in the Old Testament. A character who took a massive risk for the sake of God's purposes. The Jews, her people, were the target of a hateful character, Haman. He was going to have them all executed throughout the province where they had been taken captive. Esther was a Jewess and she was the queen as it happened. And her cousin Mordecai told her that she'd have to ask the king for help. But the rules were clear. No one could approach the king like that. If they did, they would be put to death unless the king was to hold out his golden scepter to accept them. And it had been a whole month since the king had asked to see Esther, so she wasn't exactly flavor of the month at this time. But Mordecai was clear. And he made that famous statement. Who knows? But that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. The risk had to be taken. And it did work out well, but Esther wasn't to know that when she took the risk. And neither are we. The outcome is with God. Our call is to step up to the plate. To take on the challenge of making Jesus known and real. To a whole new generation of people. By sharing the good news. And that might mean taking a few risks. But when the church has been at its best, it has never been afraid of that. Do you know, I deliberately drove through Belfast coming up here today, tonight, because I wanted to see the lights at the city hall. <laughs> Belfast was buzzing, absolutely hiving with people. Take a left into Bedford Street, and then you hit Dublin Road. Droves of people everywhere right on up through through Bradbury Place and then heading up the Lisburn Road. A lot of churches, but they weren't going to the churches. In fact, if you take all those churches in around that sort of square mile radius around Dublin Road area, I reckon there are more people tonight in the cinema on the Dublin Road than there are in all of those churches put together. Couples, Families, older folk, younger folk, crowds, people alone. So many of them. Church wasn't on their radar. Now you can't judge everything by church attendance. But we'd be very foolish if we were trying to hide behind a statement like that. The fact is, church isn't working. We are not impacting this generation. They're going further and further away. And the way we're doing things at the minute is not making any difference to them. Let me leave you this challenge. A church in a great part of Belfast, a city that we just love, Belfast is in our hearts. But it badly needs churches today who are going to take risks. To step outside the box, step outside their comfort zones, if we're going to impact even any of those people with the good news of Jesus. You have come to this place today for such a time as this. I believe God's asking you to step up to the plate.
and take risks to find his lost children.